Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I'm today reporting live at the IBM offices in San Francisco, and my guest is Bridget Carlin, who's the Chief Technology Officer of IBM's Global Technology Services Group. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. In this week's tech news and what's being called a non-terrorist attack, Gatwick Airport, which is the second largest airport in the London, England area, has been shut down by industrial drones. So normally drones have about a 30-minute battery life, but these were sophisticated drone operators who were able to shut down the entire airport for multiple days. At the time of this report, over 110,000 passengers and 760 flights were canceled, and they have not yet figured out a way to deter the attackers. Facebook has two stories. One, they actually are being sued by the Washington, D.C. Attorney General over their Cambridge Analytical scandal, as well as their more has come out regarding their, their business practices where when they said that they didn't sell the data, which is the way the laws were written, they actually gave the data away for free to companies like Microsoft in, under the context of a corporate partnership. So Facebook's continuing to have a lot of bad press. A group of senators have introduced data security legislation, and this is related to all the data breaches, whether hackers or whether a company like Facebook or Twitter or Google. They really want to strengthen the data privacy laws. We know here in California, by next year in 2020, California wants to have the most stringent data privacy protection laws in the world, not just the state. And currently, the most stringent law is the General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union. 5G, which is the next generation of wireless technology for your phones, has already started rolling out in the United States, cities like Atlanta. It will be coming to California in the early part of 2019, and the data speeds promised will greatly surpass what's currently considered 4G or LTE technology. Uh, also, it's said that the 5G technology in itself will obsolete or obsolesce many existing business models and technology just because of how fast the data speeds are and how much compression or how much data can fit on the data streams. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, I'm joined by Bridget Carlin, Chief Technology Officer of IBM Global Technology Services. And it's a $35 billion unit with over 107,000 employees. But before we get into what IBM is doing, I really wanted to bring up Bridget's past. Uh, Bridget was an entrepreneur, uh, or an entrepreneur, which we'll also talk about, CEO of Fast 50 Company, um, she's a, a vice president for the Consumer Tech Association, which is the parent company of CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. And she's just done a ton in her career. So we're going to talk about that. 
Once again, Bridget, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So, Bridget, with your career just most recently also in a similar role at Intel, um, how did your journey start? Okay, well, let's see. Uh, Looking in the rearview mirror a little bit, um, I actually started in banking, and it was a terrific environment to learn about technology because I found, particularly in the unit that I was in, uh, the bank was an early adopter of advanced technology. So as it, it, the, the definition of an advance changes from decade to decade, and you know, at this point, year to year, it was a great environment to get really acquainted with the power of technology and the benefits of adopting new technology. Uh, and then I got the bug. And then I decided, oh, this is pretty interesting. I could probably make a lot more money for myself if I peeled out and started using some of this myself. So I partnered up with um, a, a person I'd been working with, and we started a software company, and we focused on handheld devices. And we were uh, early pioneers of integrating uh, wireless technology into handheld devices, and we targeted the distribution industry. So we had customers like Nestle and Keebler and Williams-Sonoma and Anheuser-Busch. And we started making a big difference on how they could increase their sales by leveraging, you know, technology at the edge, if you will. And then from there, um, I uh, got recruited into the venture capital industry. And I started, you know, having been a entrepreneur CEO on one side of the table, I flipped over to the VC community and started making early stage investments. And then from there, um, uh, moved into the security sector and uh, joined back into the corporate world and started focusing on security as a service. And then uh, from there, I got recruited into Intel, where I launched their uh, hybrid cloud business. And, um, and which was very interesting because um, a few years back, right, how to get into and understand from, you know, early virtualization technologies to app stores and how to integrate all that and kind of open up a new way of accessing um, uh, application capability. It was a great you know, uh, foray into, you know, what's really evolved over time now to what we're dealing with today. And then from Intel, um, you know, in addition to the running the hybrid cloud business, I then uh, looked after their data center software portfolio. And then I went in to um, uh, stand up the Internet of Things group. And uh, they're very interesting time, right, in terms of launching IoT and understanding the importance of an open end-to-end platform so that, you know, whether it's, you know, devices at the edge, whether it's a sensor or a microcontroller or a vehicle, right, being able to ingest data, move it into the cloud and leverage analytics and and, uh, so forth to get more value out of the data and and create new experiences. And then from there, um, I uh, came to IBM, where I am enjoying... um, uh, essentially working at um, the Global Technology Services Division and being able to leverage the advanced technology today into um, creating new capabilities and um, uh, uh, processes for our enterprise clients. Well, thanks, Bridget. That, I mean, that's a fascinating story. I'm, I'm glad you went through the entire journey. And the reason why I say that is, you know, you think about companies like IBM or Cisco or Microsoft, uh, in some ways, they're now seen as, and hopefully not, but where General Electric is today, right? And people have this idea that the new, even the Netflix and the Amazons and the Googles and Facebooks of the world are becoming passe, and there's now these new startups. But I think your journey demonstrates that a lot of people can go back and forth between enterprise 
VC, startup, and that makes you a really well-rounded person so that an IBM or another enterprise company will, would, would love to have um, that type of talent to then lead the next wave. So we think about Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, and the level five leader, right? The key part about being a level five leader is not that you had a predecessor and a successor, but that a company could re um, invent itself, could re-image itself, right? And we see this with Southwest, we see it with Wells Fargo, where I got my start, so I love the banking connection, because as much as people think banks are stodgy, they're always testing out the cutting edge, just very careful about how they do that. So that's really where companies that survive are the ones who adapt and change. Boy, that is well said, and I think IBM is the poster child for reinvention. And it's interesting, you know, uh, from my own perspective, um, one of the things that's in my DNA is this entrepreneurial spirit. And um, and the reason why I, I sort of describe it that way is that even inside a $35 billion division like GTS, um, we have to be thinking about new and innovative ways of, um, you know, f- new ways to solve problems. So don't go away. When we come back, we'll hear how Bridget talks about GTS or Global Technology Services for IBM and how they're solving for problems. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I was recently at IBM's offices meeting with Bridget Carlin, the chief technology officer of their global technology services division. So this week's question is, where is the internet headed? And Cisco just put out its annual visual networking index where they have predictions. So by 2022... There will be more traffic going through the internet in one year than has happened in all of human history. And that's essentially all the movies ever made crossing the network in less than one minute. Um, Other predictions are that IP traffic will triple. Global internet users will make up 60% of the world's population. Global network devices and connections will reach 28.5 billion and Wi-Fi and mobile speeds will double. Video games will make up 85% of all traffic, and it's just going to keep increasing. And that's the question of the week. So earlier we were talking to Bridget Carlin at IBM about what Global Technology Services is and where it's heading. I describe GTS um, I like to think of, it, of us as kind of a great big use case for things like um, Watson and being able to leverage, you know, the Watson capabilities inside our infrastructure so that with all the data that's coming through the workloads that we can um, leverage uh, AI so that we can, you know, discover new patterns, train knowledge bases, create ways to trigger capabilities that can prevent an outage or, you know, uh, um, uh, make the, the infrastructure more secure. And so this, this is, technology is a very creative field, right? So naturally, if you are thinking that way, and, and this is one of the things I, you know, and love working with my team is that it's, you know, technology is a highly creative environment. And if you have the right support, um, when you work in something that has a range of heterogeneity, right, different technologies, um, different use cases, different industry segments, 
the problems, you know, become uh, um, something that is it keeps it very interesting and keeps you know the technical the strong technical talent really challenged and when you know as you build out you know solutions one of the things you always you know, appreciate is having the best technical talent you know getting the best minds energized around a problem and lever- you know matching advanced technology to solve that problem in a new and efficient and maybe more secure way so to me you know entrepreneurialism is something that is alive and well inside IBM it is what i think uh, enables the company to continue to reinvent itself with each new era thanks and i think one of the interesting observations I've made because before starting Guardian Insight Group where we actually help companies get through this digital transformation using companies like IBM and other technologies is that although there was a rush to the cloud, right? You mentioned earlier that um, there was a period, which is still ongoing, but there was really this rush to just app stores, just hybrid clouds, and that people thought, and rightly so from to some point economies of scale, that we can go faster and better by not having all of this in-house um, IT infrastructure, IT talent. It's just, it's, it's really cumbersome. So therefore, we're going to use um, other providers, whether it be um, you or whether it be um, a cloud service provider, however. But what we're noticing now is that since that happened, well, a lot of startups that are scaling, they don't have the talent. Yeah. And so now there's a gap because you can get started very quickly. I mean, there was a, there was a story even... Um, Back when I was uh, managing Dell for Cisco, that uh, a Dell startup, they were acquired, which happens a lot, and then they were completely, they didn't, you know, but for a reason, the, the entire acquisition was let go because that division was no longer needed. They started up their startup, and it was big news uh, maybe seven or eight years ago for th- in three days. But now you can do a startup in a few hours. Yeah. You know, you can, you can get some containers, you yeah. can do some things. But as they scale, because I do mentor some startups, they hit a wall. Or they almost hit a wall because it's like, well, where do I get this talent from? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you know, talent is always in uh, high demand, <laughs> right? And so, and, and then we get into some of the new technologies and, you know, we look for data scientists. We look for, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the challenges we always have in this, in this business. Right. So you've got to keep the environment interesting, right? That's the message for us, right? Talent, you know, if they're really strong, they have their choice. So where can they go to leverage their skills, learn something new, apply something new and different, and have a big impact? And that's one of the things I always keep in front of me. And, you know, part of it is, you know, it's being in a place that has the challenges, that also has the the management and executive support to, you know, allow that to happen. So when we think about hackathons, right, you know, in the context of a large corporate environment, these are, you know, in some ways um, great examples of trying to keep the the developer community interested and stimulated. Yeah, this is a really excellent point as well, because when we were talking about cycles and what we've seen, yeah. uh, we had Jenny Dearborn, who's the head of um, HR and talent and leadership at SAP, and the whole show was really about the talent crisis in Silicon Valley and in technology in general. And what was great to hear, and I know IBM um, is one of the leading companies in this as well, is this for people seeking jobs in the technology industry now, there's no better time because even the requirement for a college degree has gone away. But I think what, what you just said is is really relevant in that it's matching the right job with the interested party and that um, you're no longer worried about so much, did I train for this, is whether you have the aptitude and skill set right. to do it. And you also brought up hackathons, and we've actually had a partnership with School 42 
which is this free coding academy that I, and a lot of companies are, are now getting involved with, is the exact same thing. We have um, ballet dancing champions who are taking software development, and they just uh, offered their first, they call them cadets, to a 71-year-old who is oh interested in software development. So there's no age restriction other than a high school diploma or parent um, uh, permission, but this is just all about talent, where the needs are. Yeah. And I'm also going to compare this to uh, Chinese companies coming over where they're still in the mindset. I just met with them. They're still in the mindset of we want to hire the Stanford engineer, the Harvard engineer, the Princeton engineer. And I had to tell them, well, you can do that, but it's a very tight hiring process and people are finding alternative ways. Well, and, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, it, and it's also, a, you know, it, technology doesn't discriminate, right? No matter where you are, what you look like, what gender. I mean, I think back to, um, you know, my son started programming when he was nine. And, you know, I mean, so, you know, it was, first it was a novelty, and then he started to get really, really good and really fast. And I'm thinking, gosh, he's got to do his homework instead of, you know. But, um, but it's really tapping into um, that creative spirit and then, you know, making the tools available. And so that's one, one of the best things about technology. It doesn't discriminate. It's available for everybody. It's just about your drive and your interest. I agree, and I think some of the uh, other leaders, and even though they come from companies like Cisco or HP, I think it was really all in the same realm of uh, pushing new skills and job training. Yeah. So Vina Amanath, the head of HP's innovation group, we actually talked about her nonprofit, which is retraining professionals for their fear of taking, getting their jobs taken away from AI, artificial intelligence. And so she has her own nonprofit, which really gives these job trainings yeah. Uh, for people who, you know, I'm an accountant, and we, we've done shows where uh, people doing accounting bots are actually not trying to take the job away. They're trying to just retrain folks to train the bot. And yeah. we're spending a lot of time talking about this because this is encouragement for anyone listening yeah. is that whatever you think you're doing, if you have an interest in technology, there's never been a better time. That's so true. And even, at, I mean, what's, I'm very proud of IBM in the sense that you know, I think we invest $500 million in training and reskilling our employees. Uh, and in GTS specifically, um, our senior VP, Martin Yetter, had started an IBM Services Academy. And so when you have such a large division, 107,000 people, there are going to be, you know, jobs will evolve and new skills will be needed. So what, you know, let's create an ecosystem inside the division so that we make uh, training, upskilling, reskilling available. And that way you protect, you know, sort of the um, institutional knowledge and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But then you also, you know, have an opportunity to re-energize your, your workforce. Yeah. So it is a great time. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, training programs available. Well, thanks again. I mean, we had a great start to the show. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined by Chief Technology Officer of IBM's Global Technology Service Division, Bridget Carlin. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about digital transformation, so don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm joined today with Bridget Carlin, who's the Chief Technology Officer at IBM for their Global Tech Services Division. 
It's a $35 billion unit with over 107,000 employees. And in the earlier segments, we talked about Bridget's storied career doing enterprise as well as startups, as well as venture capital, and um, recently joining IBM from Intel. So welcome back. Thank you very much. So in this week's Cyber Tip, we had just reported recently that Marriott had a massive data breach of its Starwood acquisition of 500 million users. And as much as can be said about the breach, uh, Marriott actually is being lauded for doing a lot of things right versus what people think in terms of losing data. Uh, Marriott's IT team actually kept the Starwood network completely separate from their network even up until the time the breach started. So none of the Marriott-only customers got affected. They also improved the security practices of their acquisition of Starwood for Starwood's internal technology team. They also followed all the rules regarding breach notification, which was including contacting law enforcement and also trying to give law enforcement enough information to catch the hackers. And also, they were quickly making available support for Starwood's customers on what to do once the breach occurred. Now, in our show, we often bring up the Cyber Tip of the Week because we actually want to give very practical information to consumers, business owners, and corporate executives that there are definitely best practices in this area of cybersecurity and response, or what we call incident response. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So Bridget, in our last segments, we were going to lead up to this concept of digital transformation and why it's important. I wanted to talk more about that. Okay. Well, so, you know, if you look across the marketplace, uh, we are in an environment of disruptors. In fact, disruptors are becoming the steady state, (laughs) practically. In fact, there was a Forbes uh, study done that 72% of businesses feel that they're um, susceptible to disruption in the next three years. 72%. So that's a lot of companies yeah. that are looking over their shoulder going, oh my God, who's you know going to come after me, whether it's in my own industry segment or from an adjacent segment. Um, so what that's doing is it's causing companies to embrace digital transformation. Um, the convergence of advanced technologies like cloud, like AI, security, Internet of Things, 5G, these technologies are enabling this digital transformation. And companies have to do it in order to stay relevant, right? They're finding that, you know, uh, customers are expecting more. Um, let's take the banking industry, for example. Uh, we believe the banking industry is going through a major shift yes. um, and becoming, you know, digital to their core. Um, their customers expect, um, you know, access 24-7 to be able to send money, manage their financial uh, uh, needs, um, and to be able to do it anywhere on any platform uh, and do it securely. Because um, the days of, you know, face-to-face banking are, you know, rapidly going away. Oh, right. One of the, one of the major projects I, I did um, for the, the mega bank I was a managing director for was to actually do an entire millennial services division, which is for the unbanked. And actually, it was completely through um, a white-label outsourcer, right? And I, I bring that up because I just read an article last night that said that 80% of all banking interactions will be through some type of chatbot functionality within two or three years. Well, that's a great example of 
um, you know, banks now uh, embracing and, in fact, aggressively leveraging cloud and AI as, as two examples of technology that's enabling that digital transformation. In fact, analysts are telling us by next year, um, banks uh, expect to spend $100 billion on cloud. Yes. So it's significant. And I'll give you an example. Um, we have a client, uh, Westpac. Westpac is the oldest bank in Australia. They have about 14 million customers. Um, and they uh, partnered with IBM Services for their digital transformation. Um, and together we're building out a secure, fully integrated hybrid cloud environment so they can start delivering services faster to those 14 million customers. Um, and what's interesting is what uh, uh, what used to take them 19 days to set up a new app and make it available now takes three to five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also finding that, you know, in so doing, they're increasing their operating efficiency by 30%. Um, but what's really interesting is that while the role of, of, you know, cloud is helping with efficiencies and and some, you know, uh, productivity economies, it actually is, you know, helping them get a faster, a higher value faster to their customers, right, with new services. Right. And so what they're setting up is a customer service hub um, so that they can quickly move new apps and capabilities out to their customers. And so, you know, that that's one example where um, a bank is, is comprehending uh, not just the leveraging the cloud, but doing it together with, with AI. And um, another example is um, Banca Carigi. It is Italy's largest bank. Okay. They have about a million customers, 500 branches, um, and they are doing a similar scenario of setting up a, a, a fully integrated, secure hybrid cloud environment. And we're using automation and robotics throughout all the branch automation, or to automate all the branch processes. Um, and that's to help also streamline their operations. So you can see that this combination of cloud plus AI is, you know, in in summary, um, doing three important things. It is, you know, number one, they uh, leveraging uh, the technology to better track and manage customer engagement. It's also helping them revolutionize customer service. Um, and then it's also enabling um, and creating pathways for new services to be delivered. So when you put that together, you can start to see that the transformation to being you know, more of a digital model is making a big difference in their ability to stay relevant to their customers. Yeah, it's important because having um, owned a lot of the budget required to do this, uh, banks are really constrained by regulation. Yeah. And so having evaluated cloud technologies for major banks and clients is not an easy thing to do. And so without promoting one cloud over the other, I'll just use the terms you use, a secure cloud environment where you absolutely know the location of your assets and your servers is table stakes for uh, a major U.S. bank. I won't talk about regional banks. And that's actually part of the regulation. But a lot of folks don't know that. And so we get into regulated industries. um, They usually are facing an uphill battle in digital transformation because the cost involved with that. So I think the more successes from an IBM or from your peer group, uh, that becomes something that is that the groups that have to evaluate the technologies can actually lean on yeah. because it becomes easier than to deploy. Yeah, well, you are bringing up a great point around you know evaluating clouds and particularly with an industry that's regulated like banking. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, at IBM, we work with some of the world's largest banks. 
in fact, uh, of the top 50 banks in the world, uh, were are, are the clients that we manage um, uh, look after uh, 49% of that group's total assets, which is about $44.5 trillion. So we are really appreciating and understanding the importance of their decisions and choices when it comes to IT in abiding and and being compliant with regulation. And so one of the things to point out here is that when we talk about the cloud market, um, we tend to think about the public cloud. But at IBM, we really look at it as the hybrid multi-cloud market, right? Because, and you brought up a great point, it takes you about a minute and a half when you're talking to an enterprise client to realize that they are they need to run things behind their firewall, so they need a private cloud. They want to take advantage of some of the economics of a public cloud, so right away you're into hybrid. And then what we also know is that the average enterprise has anywhere from one to five clouds. So now you're into a multi-cloud scenario. So the way we look at the market is it's a hybrid multi-cloud market. It's expected to be about a trillion dollars by 2020. And it is it, when you look at it from the lens of an enterprise, whether you're a bank or a retailer or an automotive company, um, you are really talking about a hybrid multi-cloud environment. Yeah, I'm glad you explained that. So I think for you know the non-enterprise listener, and there's a joke, you know, what is a cloud? And the joke is, uh, a cloud is a computer you don't own. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, there's just little uh, memes about that. But I think that's really important because yeah. not all clouds are the same. Yeah. Not all clouds are equal. And some are different than others for, for purpose, right? So if we look at, um, say, an AWS, which is the predominant player in when you hear cloud, that has very good use cases on quick deployments for lots of things, startups and um, trying to do some workloads and even some government use cases, but that's just one cloud, right? Uh, Google has a cloud, you know, and they're known for data lakes and analytics. Um, I'll, just give, I'll just give them all out. Azure, Microsoft has a cloud, and they do a lot of stuff on IoT. IBM has a cloud, Oracle has a cloud. And it doesn't mean that one is necessarily better than the other. It's really understanding your internal use case and how you tie it all together, which is the point you were making. Yeah, it, it you know, so I, I would say that, uh, you know, we're in a hybrid multi-cloud market and, and enterprises, you know, they have to support that. So, so in, from an IBM perspective, we feel like that's sort of basic table stakes. Um, but I do think that, uh, I would disagree with you a little bit, I do think that there's differentiation in clouds. Of course, you know I had to say that. Um, because, you know, from an IBM perspective, we believe that, you know, hybrid, multi-cloud, um, having your cloud be AI-ready so that as the workloads and the data come through, that you can you can leverage and take advantage and get more value out of that data coming into your cloud, that the cloud should be able to support apps running in any environment, so whether it's, you know, in a private cloud on-prem or in, you know, in a, in a public cloud scenario, um, as well as it should be, you know, security should be built in at the onset, right? The, the entire environment needs to be secure. Your data needs to be protected. Your insights out of that data needs to be protected and private. Um, and it should be GDPR compliant, you know, all those things. So when, we, when you talk about the IBM cloud, it's the IBM cloud built for business. And so when, you know, to your point, right, where when you look at it from an enterprise lens, these are the kinds of things that, you know, when we, particularly when you look at banks or, you know, uh, any of the regulated segments, 
um, these are important factors. And it is something that we um, we take very seriously in terms of, you know, how things are built in a certain way and how we take um, the the role that security has to play, both from an app architecture environment standpoint as well as for the data. Yeah, no, you're right. So thank you very much. Um, we're going to take a pause. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, again joined with Bridget Carlin, the Chief Technology Officer of Global Technology Services at IBM. And we'll be right back to talk about the benefits of everything we're talking about. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I've been joined today by Chief Technology Officer of IBM Global Technology Services, Bridget Carlin. Bridget, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. We've had a really great conversation on Bridget's background and journey, which you'll have to listen to the previous segments if you've missed it on podcast. You can download that at svi.biz. But really, today's not only about digital transformation in which IBM um, has services around, but also that you at IBM are your own success story. Yeah, you know, we in this this whole notion of transformation, um, it's you know I'm very proud of being part of a company that continues to transform and reinvent itself. And uh, I look at at IBM and you know our um, recent announcement of the Red Hat acquisition. $34 billion software acquisition. It's the largest ever mm-hmm. uh, in the industry, uh, but it is something that um, is not only a major step forward in IBM's own uh, transformation, but um, it is really great news for, uh, for the enterprise marketplace. And when I think about you know um, IBM's transformation, um, one of the commitments and and the um, the progress the company has been uh, aggressively making is around becoming a higher value business by focusing on cloud and AI, as we've talked about. And um, some evidence of that is that you know today half of the company's revenue is from those segments. Wow! Um, which in you know for anybody's portfolio, that's a dramatic you know a dramatic shift. Um, and that includes a $19 billion um, hybrid cloud business. Um, so that ranks us in the top three public clouds. Um, at all, we also have leadership with AI, with analytics, with security, and with blockchain, right? So in the leading technologies. So when we think about transformation as uh, with IBM being an enterprise, these are the kinds of things that, you know, that um, are, are making um, our evidence of, of that transformation. And with the Red Hat acquisition, you know, we're really excited about it. I mean, it is something that, you know, not only, you know, when we talk about um, uh, enterprise decisions on cloud, you know, we talk about hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, you know, what we understand our clients really need is they need open technologies that allow them to move applications, workloads into whatever environment they need, right? They need to they need to take back their technology destiny, right? And right. have the freedom to to move around where they need the right workload, running in the right environment, kind of idea. So, so I think that's absolutely the right message. 
But what about the people who are skeptical that uh, Red Hat can really be independent once IBM acquires it? Well, you know, listen, that, that's, a, that's a fair question. Uh, I think if you've watched any of the interviews with our chairman and CEO, Jenny Rometty, um, she is very straight up about, you know, um, and she's got the CEO standing right next to her and say they will be their own discrete business unit. Um, uh, the CEO will report to Jenny directly, which is a first in our in our history. Um, and the company will, you know, st- you know, stay. All employees will stay fully employed, even you know, um, uh, functions like HR and things like that. They're not. You could think of those as maybe being redundant, but they won't be. They will stay in the company. Um, they can continue wearing their jeans to work. They're not, they will come in the <laughs> IBM suit and tie, and all that, you know, although you don't see a lot of suit and ties anymore. IBM has become very hip. Um, but uh, it really is a commitment to preserving not only the technology, but the culture, right? And we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, um, what it means to bring an entrepreneurial spirit into, you know, the engineering environment. Um, and, and I think that that's, a, you know, a very genuine commitment. Uh, and you'll see that, you know, Red Hat will stay its own company. That's great. Well, Bridget, it's been a pleasure having you on our show today. And I hope to have you back sometime. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I appreciate it. And finally, I wanted to talk about technology topic that's in the news, which doesn't necessarily have a right or wrong answer, but does sound a little bit freaky. So we talked before about how China is implementing a social credit system. So like a credit system in the United States, the social credit system is going to monitor whether or not based on who you know, your activities, do you pay your taxes, do you get jaywalking tickets, All these things go into a massive database, and then the Chinese believe they can predict whether or not you'll be a good citizen. Well, Beijing, the capital city of China, announced that by 2020, all 22 million residents can be tracked. And certainly that sounds like there's a lot of fear around whether or not you can get on a plane, whether you can get into your kids can get into the right school. So there's just a lot of concern about that. The Chinese believe that by doing that, they can help improve their society. And I know that it's just continues to be in the news and a cause for concern. But it's not just China. It's also other parts of the world. So the UK just announced that their police are trying to develop a way to predict future crime, especially for guns, which are not authorized in the UK, and for knives, which are also banned. They believe that they can actually determine through software the likelihood of whether someone will be a future criminal and then suggest preemptive counseling of that individual so that they never can become a criminal. And so that's scary too, in a sense, because how do you know that there wasn't biases programmed into these systems? We call it artificial intelligence. We've done a number of shows on that. We had one called the Artificial Intelligence or AI Delusion with Professor Gary Smith of Pomona College. And this is exactly what we were talking about. And also, it's not just the UK either. The Netherlands are also using a pilot to do both, track their citizens and also predict crime. We will continue to keep on top of the subject. I know there's a lot of emotions around it. And this is all in the context of these governments wanting to improve society and keep crime low. And that's this week's show. So if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info at svn.biz. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Keith Koo, or Facebook, keithkoo.sv. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. 
For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 